Now their goal is to make sure their average for their people and as a company is above 525. If we're above 525, they make they, they bonus out. And that's their biggest goal. And then their other one is cancellation rate because dispatchers have a big influence on your cancellation rate. Running the jobs and handling the dispatch calendar is a freaking challenge. It can be a nightmare in a service business where you got service techs out on the road doing things, uh, getting behind on their projects. You've got customers, on the other hand, calling in, changing things, canceling things, complaining about things. It is an absolute freaking loot nightmare. If you're in the service business, you know what I'm talking about. Today's guest has a lot of experience in this. He's got an awesome company, quite large company, over $30 million in revenue. And he's subsequently got the big CSR and dispatch team behind it all to back it all up. And he does awesome with it and makes his customers happy. So I wanted to bring our guest on today to jump into this and tell us more about how he's handling this and how they handle dispatch and the CSRs and his uh, process for matching the top service technicians with the top opportunities that come into his business and what all goes into that. I'm talking about Tommy Mello here. You'll be introduced to him once we actually start recording this podcast. Right now, this is just the pre-roll. And on that note, if you're not already a member of our Facebook group, go ahead and join that, the Home Pro Sales and Marketing Lounge on Facebook. Link in the show notes. Join the Facebook group. Lots of interaction in there. You can always at tag Tommy in there, get his response, his input, my input as well. Awesome collaborative group. So if you're not a member, go join that. Without further ado, let's jump into it. Tommy Mello, man, welcome to the Home Pro Success Show. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, for our listeners out there, why don't you give them the rundown of where you're at in your business, what your business is, what you do. You know, I'm going to kind of preface it by saying you got an awesome, awesome company. You've done a lot of a lot of good things, a lot of growth in the last few years. Not few years, but at this point, 10 years. Tell us more about it. Give us the rundown on your company and your operations. All right, I got started in 2007. It's been 12 great years. Started, I'm from Michigan originally, moved out here. Started as a small company. You know, I remember it was tough to get to a million dollars. Now we're we're issuing over 40 million. Started a podcast about a year and a half ago, met amazing people, expanded my business, read a lot of books, up to like seven, six, 770 on my Audible. Wrote this book, The Home Service Millionaire. Good book. <laughs> Took me two years. So, and every mistake that you can think of, I've made. So, I just don't make them twice for the most part. So, you know, I hang around with very successful people and I get a lot of consulting. I pay a lot of money for a lot of things. Yeah. So you're at 40 million a year in revenue. That's an astounding number over and you started in 2007, man. What's the biggest mistake you've had, uh, you know, along that way? So that's 12 years now. So that is over a decade at this point. You know, when I started, I thought it was, I'm not a, I'd always say I'm not a salesman. And every day I wake yeah. up, I'm selling people, whether that's my girlfriend, whether that's anything in life. Other than my mom, dad, and my initial family, you know, we're, we're all salespeople. <laughs> so it was not hiring right. I think hiring is probably the one thing that I've become better at. I never used to do background tests or drug tests. That, mm -hmm. that was a very, very bad experience. You know, I got to make sure they've got a good driving record. I've had guys flip vans, completely flip them. Any story you can think of, I mean, I've been through it, but I'd say um, not getting on the right CRM was a huge mistake. Yeah. I'm on my fifth one now, you know, Service Titan. And I think that's been the biggest game changer. Consulting. I was very afraid of hiring people because I thought I get taken advantage of. And I've hired some of the wrong yeah. people. But once I got the right people in, changed my life, changed my business, changed my personal life. Everything has gotten better because of it. 
Let's jump back to the staff thing real quick. I have to ask, was there like one big point in time where like, I need to hire better people or not? I need to hire better people, but like I'm running a three ring circus right now. Like this has to change or I'm going to lose my wits. I mean, was there ever a moment when you're like, all right, tomorrow I'm not taking any more bullshit. It's drug testing, it's background checks, it's driving record checks. And if you show up five minutes late, I am done. Was there ever like a big kind of flip the switch moment for that? Well, there was two things that happened. One day I went into work. I found out one of my CSRs is dating the technician. I got three people on the curb smoking a cigarette. And I was just like, I used to hate going into work. There was so much drama. And I'm like, these people are useless. I hated my employees. And it was not the way to go through life. And I know a lot of us have been there. And we think if I don't do it, it won't get done right. Then I think the day that it changed is that was part of it. And I read the book, The E-Myth. And I learned that it's all about processes and checklists and there needs to be structure and standard operating procedures. And if it's done correctly with manuals, so I will say it's, it takes time and it takes discipline, but once it's done right, you'll enjoy Mondays and believe it or not, I enjoy waking up and getting started and it's fun. I know exactly what you're talking about here. So how far along in business were you when you had that kind of switch flip? Like how many years had you been in business and how many gray hairs had you earned up until that point? I think 2014. Mind you, we're both young here. And we're talking about gray yeah. hairs, but yeah, I think I'm still doing pretty good up there. Yeah, I think I, I got a little bit of the week. My hair is thinning, you know, in the last, uh, well, it's been eight years that I'm owning a business. My hair used to be really quite thick. I almost could do an afro and now it's getting pretty thin up there. Hey, but you know, uh, most, of that fir- most of that thinning happened in the first three years. So wh- how long was it until you kind of had that little flip? So it was about seven years into it because I'll yeah. tell you what, I stopped running service calls in 2014 and that's when it really flipped. And I, you know, I got to attribute a lot of it to my general manager. I felt like I had somebody to lean on, somebody that I told him when he started, you got to be the bad guy because I'm not a yeah. bad guy. I want to be the cheerleader. I want to be the motivator. And I'm a better sales coach and marketing guru than I am at operations. Although I'm forced into operations and I've learned to enjoy it. I've learned to enjoy accounting and financing, which I did get a master's in business and took all these classes. I wish I was paying attention during half of but <laughs> Yeah, I think it's important to have a financial quick check once a week. I think it's important to know yeah. exactly. Sometimes knowing is like kind of going to the doctor. Sometimes you don't want to go to the doctor because you don't want to know what it is. And yeah. I think a lot of people feel the same way about financing. And I read a book about a year ago called Profit First by Michael McKellowitz, and it's a game changer. And now I'm really involved in the day-to-day as far as what's what's going on as sales and net profit and how much is going to the bank for the car loan, stuff like that. So Yeah, can you give us any more insight onto that actual book? I mean, I'm not familiar with it. I've heard the name of the book, but I don't really know much about it. What's the focus of it? You know, if you could kind of yeah. summarize it up into a few sentences, well, what's the big takeaway? Well, there's a thing called Parkinson's Law. And it, it basically explains that if you got a big warehouse, you use all the space. If you got a bank account, you use all the money. If you've got time allotted to write a paper, you'll take the two weeks to write it. You'll write it Thursday is due on Friday. So what Michael McCallowitz says in the book is you pay yourself first, profit first. You get a separate bank account. You open up that account and you pay your 10%, your 15%, your 20%. You can start out at 3%, but then whatever's left over, you use to pay the bills. Most people pay their bills and whatever's left over, they take. This one says profit first. You take what you need to make as a company profit and you could use the rest on growth and bills. 
That's a very interesting concept there. I mean, I can see how that actually puts that puts a, a realistic perspective into how much profit you have and how much money you have to operate with. And I think that once a lot of people start doing that, it's almost kind of like a slap in the face, you know? Well, trust me, when you've got money in the account, you tend to go to nicer restaurants. When you don't, you tend to go shopping and cook your meals. And people say, I need this amount of money. I'll, I'll find that I'll give somebody a, from 50000 to to $100,000 raise over years, and they still don't have money. And just like when the lottery... The people got to change their perception of themselves and they need to change. Just like when you win the lottery, you don't you don't feel like you're worth it. And you go back to who you used to be. You blow through the money. And unless you change who you are and your self perspective of yourself, you'll never change. I agree. I agree with you on that. So you're pushing 40 million or a little over 40 million a year in revenue. How many locations do you have, man? What is that? What does that look like? Where are you guys located? You're in Phoenix, right? I'm in Phoenix. It's it's a monster market. Phoenix, we've got market share here by far. We're in 12 states, 20 markets. I can tell you we're going to do over 12 million just in Phoenix. But then I look at my next market, it's about 4 million and it's tied between yeah. Vegas and Milwaukee are both about to do four. Tucson's an amazing market. Northern Arizona's an amazing market. It's close to the foundation of everything but the main thing is you need to buy into the culture the guys that are killing it the great market operators the great guys that are my field supervisors they bought it they took the medicine they get it yeah and this is what we do and here's how we do it and like i said is they actually believe me when i say trust me you do it like this and you will succeed but you need to believe in the product and you need to believe in me and you know i was on a podcast earlier and i explained to the guy there's this thing I took everybody through last Thursday. And I said, pretend you're an owner operator, paying yourself 55,000 a year. You've got a warehouse, you've got advertising. And I went through 20 line items and I told them you're only in the home this long in a work week. And that's a 50 hour work week. You got to charge $257 per hour to break even. So you got to pay 257. Now that you're still paying yourself out of that $257 without replacing a part and upselling anything else. And because it costs money to make the phone ring and book that appointment and pay for the air conditioning and service Titan and all these other nice computers we have in this beautiful office here. So it really makes them change when you explain to them because they think you pay $10 for a part you should sell for 12. They don't have any idea yeah. of the other costs that go into business. And that's why most technicians fail. Most guys start out as a technician and go, I could do this myself. And they shit the bed and they fail within three years and then they owe a bunch of taxes. They walk with the tail between their legs and go work for somebody else and say, it wasn't as easy as I thought. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'll, I'll say it firsthand from being a service technician, you know, as a teenager, essentially, I, I'd look at the amount that, you know, the company was billing me out at and see my little hourly rate at minimum wage, which at the time was like five bucks an hour or something. And I'm going, what the hell? I mean, this just seems like easy money here. And a newsflash, it wasn't. You know, I think a lot of service techs and employees don't realize that stuff. There's something valuably said about educating the people in your organization about the costs that, you know, that are incurred to run this business. So I heard you mention like three or four markets. You have an actual physical location in each one of these markets? Yeah. So one of the mistakes I had made is I've got a huge warehouse in every one of them. (laughs) So 12 states, 20 markets. 12 states, 20 markets. 12 states, 20 markets. So Okay, well, so how far, what's your furthest one from Phoenix? You mentioned Milwaukee? I've got Michigan, Detroit, and Florida are tied. And I'll tell you that the big warehouse, let me just tell you what happens with a warehouse because I got into the inventory business because I thought I was buying it a good deal. So I buy a thousand of them. Here's things that people don't think about. Number one, you've got a huge warehouse, three, four, or $5,000 a month. Number two, you've got a security system, theft insurance, 
air conditioning. I could go on and on about the bills that are electric. Yeah. Of that building. <laughs> Next thing I've got employees that got to do the, the maintenance that they, they got to get the parts. They got to go pick them up. They've got to be there for when the guys pick up the parts. Inventory is a bitch. And typically it's not your CRM. It's another CRM or some type of a POS system point of sale. So then you've got your employees working overtime. You've got the five finger discount, which they're stealing from you. Trust me, if they're, you're not washing them, good people steal. You've got a truck with insurance that I had to have at each location. So now I've got 40 extra trucks because I got two trucks per location. And then I've got batteries dying. So I've got shrinkage because I own the parts now. If they're sitting in the sun all summer and the batteries die, I can't bring it back to the place like I used to be able to do. So what I've learned is the, the indirect costs of carrying my own inventory are so expensive. So I went to two different manufacturers and I've negotiated and they beat most of the prices I was paying for the volume I'm buying because they're a bigger, they're the largest residential grocery company in North America. So they beat most of the prices and they worked out a deal with me. So now I'm literally holding still $2 million of inventory. So now that's going to shrink down and I'm going to have more money to operate. So you asked me about mistakes and there's going to be a lot of them that come up, but that was a huge one is I thought I was in the inventory business. Another mistake I've made that's really important that I just thought of is I work with Valpac, Money Mailers, Rural Gold, You and Your Home, every newspaper. I do TV, radio, billboards. I do. I spend three hundred grand a month on pay per click. The difference is, the difference that's important is these people work for me. So instead of hiring my own graphic designer like I've had, now I make Valpac do it. Now I make everybody else. We think we have to do this stuff, but we're their customers. And so many times where they're like, you know, we got to hire this person. I'm like, no, I'm going to call our manufacturer and have them do that. They work for us. Hey, we got to convert these POs and put them into Excel. No, we don't. Tell them we're not paying the damn bill until they fix it and put it the way that we want it. And when that changed, that only changed a year ago. And I'm like, these people work for us. We need to get out of them what their job is to do. Before we used to do it all ourselves. I'm like, why do we hire five extra people to do this shit that these companies are supposed to be doing for us? So making the, making the vendors actually deliver your POs in Excel so you can, you know, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to that. Look, I've had them build APIs. I'm a big fan of just developing things to make our lives easier. And yeah. I make stuff talk to Service Titan. I'm working on five different codes. I've got the access to the API of Service Titan. They gave me the full access. I'm one of the only clients they have that actually has the deep access to the, the SQL server and the queries and all that. So we, go, we went in and we're building all these add-ons to Service Titan to make Make our lives easier. There's no point. I can give you one example. I use a thing called Scipio that text messages the customer 24 or 48 hours in advance. And it says, hey, my name's Tommy. Just to let you know, we're going to get your door installed in 48 hours. By the way, here's an additional, it's called a Max Life upgrade package. If you're interested, just text back yes, and we'll give you a buzz. We sell five a day. That adds $329 times five. That's over 1500 bucks a day because of this simple little add-on tool that we built on a service tie-in. So... It's all about nice, easy, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of ways to make things easy. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't go as planned, but it sounds like you've had the failures. <laughs> but you're, you're doing pretty well. You're firing bullets than cannons. That's right. I can tell that's what you're up to. Yeah, so <laughs> doing that, you got, and that's a, that's a line from the book, what is it, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Yeah, and there's another good one called Built to Last. And it talks about yeah. CEOs that actually give a shit. Like, who does he talk about? General, General Electric. Oh, I'm brain farting. But yeah, it's a, Jim Collins is the shit. He's a great author. Absolutely. So let's go. Let's get back to the service side of things here. That's 12, 12 states, 20 markets. How many trucks do you have going between this whole operation? I mean, between all 20 markets, roughly. 
I can tell you this, there's numbers on the side of my trucks. Now I don't have all of them still because I've sold some, but there's well over 250. I'd say it's total on the road, actually running, running service, oh, well over a hundred. I've got two types of trucks. I've got uniform trucks. One is an install truck and one of them is my a service truck. They're all the same. I bought my own wrap company because I wrapped so many damn trucks and I wasn't happy with my provider. I started with through three of them. I've got my own welding company because we weld all of our own racks and we, we've got uniform trucks. So if I got into your truck, you get into mine or any of the trucks, they're all the exact same. And that actually was a lot. That actually did a lot of things for us. I mean, the reason when we pull up in this truck and we take a customer out, I've got my core values, my mission, my vision. Everything's in there organized. I can step in. It's got lights. It's got Bluetooth. It's got everything you could ever need. And these guys are equipped for anything. And I'm going to tell you, I love, I love business now. I love this. If you hate your job, if you hate being an owner, you're not doing it right, is what I would say. Is I actually, now that I'm organized, I've got software. I've got the greatest people in the world. It's fun. And the reason that the people fail is because of you. And I had to look in the mirror very hard and decide that it's my fault that we're failing. It's nobody else's. There's another good book by, I forget his name, Jacko. It's called Extreme Ownership. And it's, you know, he made a mistake and he called the mission wrong because he was a Navy SEAL. It, was, it fell on him, you know, and you got to you got to own it. And that's that's something that I've, I've realized over the years, too, is a lot of times I didn't take ownership for the failures when I always took ownership of the winning the days we won. But when we lost, I was like, oh, these these idiots. Well, it's, it's mine. Yeah, this is somebody else's problem. Somebody else caused my problem here. Yep. It's hard to do. Admittedly, it is very hard to actually take ownership there of your own issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no secret. It's hard. I, I can't say that I'm an expert at that myself. What is that? 200 and something trucks out there rolling around. How many people you got answering inbound phone calls and all that? So what we did is I've got about 15 CSRs. No. So I'm, I'm guessing just doing the math, you got 20 markets, 20 locations, 15 CSRs. You've got an actual call center. We've got a full call center here. And then the phone after it hits 20 seconds, it hits two other phone companies that are familiar with service tight and they get paid by the minute and they get a bonus if they book the call. So it's all about speed of answering. And then I've got five critical points that I rate the CSRs on. My top CSR makes 30 bucks an hour and they earn it. They earn it on call booking percentage rate. We've got an internal internal error report. We've got, believe it or not, we actually pay them extra based on attendance because I don't like the missing Mondays. And if anybody wants to miss a day, it's always my busiest day. So I, I know I know the feeling on that. Like, you know, you show up and, you know, a few a handful of your CSRs are out and, you know, it's Monday morning. That's usually kind of peak call volume. Everybody just decides to call Monday morning. Oh, yeah. It's probably between 8 a.m. and 11. Everybody wants to follow up on their projects, you know, or get some new work scheduled. So it's always kind of frustrating when you're a little light staff there, you know, in your call center or office on Monday morning. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. And Mondays and Tuesdays are slammed. And uh, for some reason, most a lot of companies aren't open Sundays. We are. It's our slowest day. But we still make a lot of money on Sundays. And the guys that work on the weekends, they just... For some reason, the tickets are always higher. It's like people that are like, oh, you're working on the weekend and they get they get more tips than anybody too. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, definitely true. I can see that working out. So you're outsourcing calls if they don't answer within 20 seconds. Well, it rings our line. See, what we do is have hunt groups. So what happens is it'll, it'll continue to ring on our end, but it'll also ring their call centers. And whoever answers it first, it stops ringing on the other end. Yeah. And then... I can tell you our hunt groups are developed in a way that 
my manager for that city gets the first call if they can't book the call. And then it hits all the managers and then it hits my general manager and then it hits me. So if it rings 10 times, it's hitting my phone now and I'll take it. I don't like it when I take it. And I ask a lot of questions like who the fuck, you know, but <laughs> I'll book the call. I mean, where else can I yeah. go? Our average ticket's over 500 bucks. Where else can I make for a three minute phone call? $500. Now, gotcha. people are like, well, that's not all profit, but the opportunity cost is $500. So yeah. I'm not, like I told you, I clean the toilets here. I've got a day that I do a lot of the chores. I'm one of the things that I sit down at this desk when I'm interviewing somebody is I say, are you too, are you too proud to, to clean the toilets that, that you shit in? You know, <laughs> because look, <laughs> we've got a cleaning crew, but I, I like this place to be clean seven days a week, not just the one day that it gets clean. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's take a step back there to your CSRs. They're answering the phone. What is there? I mean, you said 30 bucks an hour kind of gave us an idea of, you know, kind of what the targets are, but like, what does the total compensation package look like for them? Okay. So minimum wage is 11 and switching to 12. They get $12 an hour or this isn't, and it's not a bonus structure. It's either or. So I can tell you, I've had over five, five or six CSRs make $12 an hour last week. So it's for every call you book is how you get paid on this bonus structure. So if you book my top CSR, like, you know, I don't have the sheet in front of me, but they're booking 35 to 40 calls a day. So they book that call and they get up to $9 on each call. And, and it's rated, it's heavily rated. Six of the dollars are rated on your booking rate that day. If it's over 90%, it goes to six. Now, because of service tight and some of the KPIs that we could just get through a report, it's not quantum physics to figure out their pay each week because you don't want to make it so complicated. The rule of thumb for me is you got to be able to go home and tell your husband or wife how you get paid. And it doesn't need to be yeah. TI-83 with the quadratic formula in a major seat. <laughs> so, but basically, they get rewarded on their booking rate by not making errors, by repeating the information and making sure it's street, not avenue, because that'll send them clear outside of the opposite side of town. Service time verifies the address that it exists. There's a lot of tools of technology that make our lives easier. But what I found was one of the gals... Her name's Madison, and she is killing it now. And she needed a lot of help, but she wanted it because now she's making 25, 30 bucks an hour and she's happy. And every week it resets. But these people that I got good, they got good at objections and just they learn how to answer questions. And when you're booking over 90% of the calls, I mean, you're killing it. And that's just. Our, yeah, ninety percent call booking rate is high. I mean, like incredibly high. I don't, I don't want to say high. Like fifty percent is high, you know, but ninety percent is just fucking incredible. Well, we only we don't we don't rate calls that aren't opportunities. Like if a customer calls and says, "What time are you guys going to be here?" Obviously, yeah, it really is on how you rate the calls. Some people say, "I know I'm going to get solicitors. I know I'm going to get people calling to wonder where their tech is. I know I'm going to get warranty calls. We're just going to rate it all together." So that therefore, sixty five percent is good. Yeah. When you're only counting true opportunities and I count opportunities, if someone calls in for a part, I still consider that an opportunity. So if they call in just to buy materials, they're saying, Hey, where can I buy? I don't know garage door parts, but where can I buy, you know, a chain for my garage door? I just want to put it on myself. You're treating that as an opportunity. You're not disqualifying that. Like, Hey, this person's just wanting materials right. and we sell service and, you know, and materials. So you're treating that as an opportunity. And I, I, and I consider an opportunity if it's outside of our service area. And the reason I do that is not to penalize my CSRs is because why am I getting out all of these? I need, if I don't know the problem exists, I can't fix it. So in, in some sense, you would say, well, why are you penalizing them? But I need to be made alert and they're going to go, dude, Tommy, this is an out of service area. We need to fix this or I'm not going to hit my bonus correctly. 
And then I can investigate yeah. into that CS, into that. I've got 36 call tracking numbers, 36. Yeah. So for each and every zone in Valpac, every single zone is every 10,000 people. It's a separate phone number and it's a local area code. I hate the coupons that they, they have five different area codes on it. It's like, it looks like a huge company. No one wants to use them. I totally agree. And I always say this on websites, like the phone number you need to have at the top is a local phone number. And if you got more than one location, you know, have them go through like kind of like a location filter, like, you know, which office would you like to call? Click on that and then show the local phone number. It absolutely just kind of frustrates me inside when I see people trying to put a 1-800 number up there. And oftentimes it's small companies with just one location. They're like, well, we want to seem big. And it's like, yeah, nobody really wants to hire the company that's too big. I mean, my company looks even bigger than it is online. And I go through steps to make it look smaller. Like we're just the local company because we lose people that are like, oh no, I don't want to go with a big corporation. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm the owner. <laughs> we actually had one guy call in last week and he was probably like, he said to one of my CSRs who was, you know, just at the cross office from me, he was like, you probably don't even know who the owner is. And he goes, uh, yeah, actually I do. His name's Corey and he's right next to me about 15 feet away. Would you like to speak with him? I love that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'll always get that local phone number on there. I don't know why people would do that. I mean, with with the Valpac, you can target people kind of right there in that area. All you need is one phone number on there. Well, I'll tell you this, and I, I'll just very briefly in the marketing side is one day I said, because we could customize each 10,000 homes. I literally put a local phone number instead of a 480 number. I put a 623. I put a picture of an mm-hmm. old couple because it was 55 plus neighborhoods that it was hitting those 10,000. I put a yeah. membership, Pora member, which is huge in that community. And I did a few other things. I made the free really, really stand out. And we did a five times what we did the month before when I when I really micro-targeted that community. And then I went through, yeah. my bell pack rep hated me, but I'm like, because I'm in, just in Phoenix is 83 zones. So you can imagine I'm in hundreds, if not thousands of zones. They had to put a custom picture for that neighborhood. So I've got them. Any, anything in the 10,000 that you would rec- recognize, like let's say there's a big fountain. I've got the fountain in the yeah. background of that area for them to be like, oh, wow, this is a local local company. And we, yeah. we freaking kill it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Let's, let's shift gears, go back to the CSR stuff. So you've got them, you know, you kind of went through the compensation there. They're roughly making, well, nine bucks a call. They're booking them. Now booking, is that booking for an actual paid service? Like are you taking a deposit on that or like, are you saying, Hey, you know, we require a hundred dollar deposit before we show up or is this just booking them to send somebody out and say hi and give them a free estimate? I know there's a lot more behind this than saying hi and giving a free estimate, just being metaphorical there. We give a $20 service call. We'll waive that fee if we have to, but on new quotes, it's a free estimate. So the the CSRs get paid one way. The dispatchers get paid a completely different way. And I'll tell you, by the end of this year, I'll have dispatchers making more than my technicians, a lot of them. But the dispatchers... So hold on here, just to kind of get, get everything clear, there's CSRs and dispatchers. If I just pick up my phone, go to your website and then call the number on your website, am I getting a CSR or a dispatcher? A CSR. CSR. So now where do the dispatchers fit into this whole perspective? So the dispatchers are figuring out the best route. They're minimizing windshield time. They're also selling service agreements and they're also following up on lost opportunities and making sure that our follow-up tabs are clean as well as the technicians and the salesmen. So a dispatcher's job is to walk you through the whole process of how what you're going to go through through an install. They're also making sure that our schedule is optimized. So I told you earlier We've got priority one through five. You need to prioritize your jobs. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen companies, I don't care what it is, they'll lose a huge margin job 
because of a little crap home warranty job they have in the way. So prioritize your calls and prioritize your technicians. And a lot of times like Service Titan says, they've got ratings in there that rate them like this guy could do more things. He can work on a, he's got a big ladder so you could go on a double, you know, a double tall roof. But what we do is re-rate our guys on sales conversion rate and customer satisfaction rate. And the best guys get the best opportunities. And you would think artificially that that would hold the guys down, but it doesn't because there's always opportunities. And what I've learned is the jobs necessarily aren't always better, but the areas are better. Like Scottsdale is a nicer part of Phoenix. So our better guys work in Scottsdale. There's more doors. There are more expensive doors. People want nicer things there. So everything's systematized. There's manuals for everything and they know how they get paid. And their goal, the way that my dispatchers get paid, is we take sales less materials. So if I pay, let's say I got $50 in materials and the total ticket's 600, they get paid on that 550. Now their goal is to make sure their average for their people and as a company is above 525. If we're above 525, they make they, they bonus out. And that's their biggest goal. And then their other one is cancellation rate because dispatchers have a big influence on your cancellation rate because literally I don't want my priority ones canceling because they're like, Hey, I need somebody out here, but I can't get out of my garage. Well, a lazy dispatcher that's getting paid hourly and no commission is going to go, I'm sorry, we're all booked up today. Whereas a dispatcher that's getting paid on that priority one, not canceling is going to go, okay, I'm going to book you here. You're the next available. They're going to have to make several phone calls, adjust the schedule, get with the technician. And it's an art that now they're incentivized to perform that art. And here's the deal. I told you earlier, one person that's a qualified person, I pay them $30 rather than paying three people $15 because they actually get way more done. I'm not paying the overtime. I'm not paying. I pay for insurance for all my people. I'm not paying that cost. I'm not paying for PTO and cigarette breaks. I've got one A player could run circles around those three B players. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, well, let me ask this. What makes a priority one job? I mean, what what is your qualifications? I mean, you kind of referenced location. You know, how are your dispatchers discerning this is a priority one job? I mean, I'm guessing you have to have some kind of standard behind it or, you know, priority one to one person is going to be a different priority to somebody else, at least in their own eyes, unless you set some kind of guideline behind it. Yeah, they're defined. So priority one is one of three things. Number one is a broken spring. They can't get out. Number two is a crash door. It's sideways. You can't get out. Number three is someone calls up and says, I can't get my garage door to close or open. And they say, it might not be a broken spring. It could be the man you release the door. It could be a little old lady that says, I just, I can't get it to, to work. And I'm t- it's time sensitive. So boom, priority one. They need somebody out there. They need somebody out there right away. That's a priority one. Priority two is a tune-up or a quoted job. Priority three is an opener. Priority four is a home warranty company. Priority five is a door sale. Now, priority five doesn't mean that we don't care as much. It just is a different technician runs a priority five that's better at closing new door sales. Gotcha. All right. So priority five is, you know, we're not coming out there to do any specific billable service. This is just a sales opportunity. And priority six is actually an inspection that they got to take pictures of their truck and do live recordings within Service Titan. Tire pressure, oil check every single week. We look at their windshield. We look at their condition of their truck because I need to know what's happening in Florida, Nevada, Albuquerque, freaking, you know, Oklahoma, all these other areas. So we do a vehicle inspection once a week as well. That's a priority six. Gotcha. So now how does the the priority actually impact the service technician that you dispatch? How do you decide who's going to what priority, et cetera there? 
I mean, like where, cause all right, I get it. You guys are getting these jobs coming in and you're assigning a priority to them. Now, how are you actually deciding and making that match to the service tech that's going out there? So we've got four zones in Phoenix. And so you got to be within the zone. Number two, we try to minimize drive time. Number three is the top technician with the highest conversion rate, highest average gross less parts or sales less materials and best customer service rating. It's going to get the best opportunities. Typically, I always say we don't leave Tom Brady on the bench during Super Bowl. And, you know, my girlfriend does physical therapy and she's got KPIs and goals to hit. And it has to do with billing. It has to do with customer service. And people are like, well, I don't think that's fair. I'm like, well, shit, life's not fair. But I'll tell you what, look at, look at, look at anything. If you're not keeping track of these things and you're not giving the best people the best opportunities, there's a reason why people fight to be number one. There's two types of people, people that don't want to be last and people that need to be number one. I like to hire the people that need to be number one. Gotcha. All right. So you're trying to get all these, you know, well, number one players on the team here, and then you're trying to match them with your priority one projects, which I'm guessing, you know, as it it translates, the better service that you give these people, you know, and the better service that your technicians give, is ultimately the more money you can make through these priority ones. There's just better opportunities and they're in better areas. And the deal is there's no such thing as a bad opportunity in my book. If you follow my steps, I have an eight-step sales process. First thing I yeah. do is I offer water or a soda or anything I can pick up on the way. My name's Tommy Mello. I'm here to save the day. I'll be for <laughs> 20 minutes. We text message the customer on the way. I automate yeah. their service Titan. When I get there, I park in a certain spot. I walk up to the door. If they put their hand out, I shake them. If I don't, I don't. It's a firm handshake, eye contact. I hand him a business card. I've got my iPad with me. And I say, this is a beautiful home, sir. How long have you lived here? Sir, ma'am, every single time. I'm finding out information. I lived here 10 years. Okay. I find out a lot of stuff in common, playing with the dog on the way through. I've got my foot protectors on, my floor protectors, walking into the garage. You know, let me ask you this. When's the last time you had this door looked at? Boom, collecting information. Next thing. Tell me exactly what's going on with the door. I know what's going on with the door, but I want them to tell me because half the time they're like, this opener is a piece of shit and I want it replaced when the spring's broken. So I leave yeah. questions and the questions, I'm taking them exactly where I want to go. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Of course <laughs> I understand exactly what you're saying there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's all, I don't want to say it's all about, but a big factor of sales is getting the you know actual lead or prospect or customer to tell you what they need and what their problem is. And then once they vocalize that, you say, well, hey, you know, what is the solution essentially? What do you think about this? You know, get them to tell you the problem, you provide the solution. That'll go a long way in any, no matter what you're selling, you know, essentially, you know, don't just come out there and say, hey, well, your problem is this. Well, you know, what do you, what is the problem as you see it and kind of put that in there in context of their own eyes? Well, the phrase we say here is diagnose the person before you diagnose the problem. Gotcha. I like it. Yeah. So you got the service tax, we got the dispatchers here. What are the dispatchers like looking for here? I mean, you know, let's say you got a priority one that's on the schedule. I mean, do the CSRs schedule at all? I guess I should kind of backstep, you know, like I call in, let's just, we'll go through it here. I'm Corey, my garage door will not open. I can't back my truck out. You know, I'm going to call you guys, you know, your, your CSR is going to go through there. They're going to book someone to come out, I'm guessing at that point, because you know, you, you want to take advantage of that. And I know that you guys have that, you know, down pat, you want to take advantage. You don't want to pass me around and, you know, me get disgruntled or, you know, kind of get further away from that point of intent where it kind of lowers your chance of actually booking something. So the CSR is going to book me, I'm guessing at that point, right? 
Yeah, and what they do is they look at a capacity board. If it's a priority one, they'll force it in, and the dispatcher, therefore, has to figure out. They're the ones that pick up the pieces. They're the ones that are the communicators. They're the ones that have to deal with the technicians. The dispatchers are the ones that ask for favors, and can you run late today, or can you run the 6 a.m. appointment tomorrow? Mm -hmm. The CSRs are great people. I love every single one of them. But after you, you actually show that you have experience and you're a badass, you can become a dispatcher. And dispatcher is one of the most important roles in the company because they they decide the jobs of who's running them. And if I go into the dispatch room, I'm like, this dude needs five jobs today. I want to keep him as busy as hell because he's the fastest, most efficient, best ticket, happiest customers. We're going to make sure to keep him loaded as much as possible. And if I go in and do it correctly, because I'm one of the best at it. It's my company. I've done every role here. I could literally add $20,000 a day. Twenty grand by me sitting there and making sure everything's going perfect. By getting the right people there on the right jobs. So, I mean, just to, you know, just to kind of back step there, it's coming into the CSRs. They've got access to the calendar, so they're kind of booking it accordingly. But, you know, I'm guessing they're probably giving a window of time. And then the dispatchers are probably kind of narrowing down. So... On the back end, there are two-hour windows within service Titan. On the front end, we tell the customer four hours. It allows us to have much more mm -hmm. flexibility, but we make sure to tell the customer, we're going to call you on the way. We're going to text message you on the way. If you need to run any appointments, if they say, Tommy, I need, I need a half an hour window, we'll accommodate that customer, but most of them don't need that. And then we put firm this. We call the technician. We make sure everything's working right. We make sure that flow of communication between the technician, dispatcher, CSR, and customer is in full effect. That was pretty key there, what you said. I mean, you're giving them a big window on the front end of the customer. You still have a window behind the scenes, but it's tighter. So it's not, you know, yeah, I mean, if you're doing any kind of dispatch, you know that, you know, giving exact times just does not work, at least in field service. So you kind of have to operate with a window, but giving a bigger window to the consumer than what you're operating with behind the scenes, tightening things up there. Yeah, yeah, this stuff, you know, we, we talked originally about marketing and I know that you get all these people with marketing and sales, you know, I, I didn't really think of all the things we do for operations, but it really makes it makes the world go round. Yeah. You know, it's like as you're digging into these things, I'm like, wow, we do a lot of shit here. Like, I know I, I'm thinking of that, too. Like, I mean, there's so much I can keep going on about this stuff. I, don't, I mean, to me, it's just like second nature. But when I've got someone new starting at my company, we've got some new people starting this week. There's a lot that you have to come, you know, and spell out, essentially. It's just stuff that seems so intuitive. I mean, let me ask you, what do you guys do in terms of routing? You know, how do you determine the route for the day? You guys have any rules of thumb there? You got four or five service calls on one calendar. Where, where are they going? Well, one of the things that we try to do, and I've got a whole fleet manager that we try to focus on reducing route times. And the more times, windshield time, no one makes money. What I can tell you is the bigger the market the better it's ran because I'll have 20 technicians in Phoenix. So my service areas are smaller. And typically what we do, if we're going to send somebody more than 10 miles, we'll make sure there's two jobs within that area. Like I said, it's not always perfect. Look, I wish Crosby's broke every third minute on the hour, you know, and we can make it perfect. <laughs> they don't. We don't work nine to five here. We express that when we hire somebody, we explain to them exactly what our expectations are. This isn't a nine to five. You're going to work weekends. Now, if you move up as a vet over years, you could probably get weekends off, but that's not going to be given. The guys that work nights and weekends make the most amount of money anyway. And what I find is when you're first starting, you start out in my company as an apprentice, you move to junior technician, you qualify up to senior technician, and then you can qualify if you're a senior tech as a field supervisor. A field supervisor works with five technicians. They've got a five technician team. We do it like a draft on the NFL draft. They get to pick their team when we start out in the market. And they work on every fifth day, 
Um, they go out with one technician and they work on their skills. They're making sure they're putting the stickers in the right spot. They're making sure they're offering financing, service agreements. They're going through our 28-step inspection. Everything spot on. And when I rolled out this program, our sales jumped 25%. Wow. And by that program, you're talking about the actual field supervisors picking who's on their team? And they get an equal team. So that I've, got, I've got several field supervisors just in Phoenix. And their goal is to manage their bottom guys up or out and duplicate their top guys and have them riding with each other. I've got reports that come out. I call it the technician report card. It tells me who sold what part and who signed the most of them. So if a guy's never sold the strut in two weeks, I'll have him go out with the top salesman of struts and they'll learn analogies and how to sell it, when to sell it. So I'm always training. Training is the number one foundation of our company. We're always learning new things. We're reading books. We read books together. We've got a book club internally. We get with managers. We have a daily morning mojo call. We have a weekly sales call. We do all kinds of stuff internally here to learn from each other. When somebody has a breakthrough day, they come in and they talk to us and we say, what happened? Where's the epiphany? Tell us how it made you feel. Tell us exactly what you said. What did you overcome? What were the you know, the obstacles in the way. And it's a constant learning experience. And fortunately, I've got to learn it all from the most amazing crew of guys and gals there could ever be. So I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Now, let me ask this here, you know, kind of on this topic, you mentioned a, like a report card there on your technicians. Do you have anything else like a formal plan in place to kind of keep the education and training up? Because in my experience, if you do not, and you know, this could just be, you know, my own personal nature, if I don't have something in place where there's, you know, specific meetings, specific checkpoints, the training kind of falls by the wayside and you get comfy, you know, it's like, ah, oh, everything is going good. There's money in the bank. We're making more money. We're selling a lot of stuff you know, and training starts kind of slipping away. Do you have any processes or systems in place? You know, like at a, at a certain time you have to have, you do this check each week, that check each month and, or that benchmark, you know, check relative to that benchmark at a certain time. And then, you know, we have a specific training day each week or, you know, one month or one day out of the month, you have to go and do a ride along with somebody that's performing better than you in a different area. Do you guys have anything like that? I mean, how do you guys perpetuate this consistent training? Because I guess what I'm saying is if I don't have a specific regiment for it, it automatically falls by the wayside. Or maybe you're different than me in that nature, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all regimented. You know, right now we're working on what's called a learning management system. We're building courses internally that you've got to go through and there's quizzes. Every seven minutes, there's a quiz based on a certain opportunity. And then we've got what's called performance improvement plans. They're called PIPs. And if you fall below a certain ratio, you need to get more training. But every single week, we allot time. The biggest thing that I've learned is to use my calendar to, my, to, to maximize my day. So training makes it onto the schedule. We actually do role-playing. Now, people don't like role-playing. They don't like the word <laughs> role-playing. The fact is, if you can't sell me in front of the group here, you're never going to be able to sell a customer. And now ask me a question, and I'll show you how to get over this objection. And I teach people to get 10 no's before they say no. And I teach them to use analogies. You see these bearing plates? We're not at church. This isn't a musical instrument. They're not supposed to sound like this. Uh, these are shot. We need to replace these. I don't even ask. I say, we need to do this. I don't say I recommend. I hate the word recommend. And we go through sales training and I teach you confidence. You're going to know this like the back of your hand. If somebody says they can't afford it, we've already offered financing five times before that problem comes up. And of course, people hate $1,200. What I like to say is it's $87 a month, same as cash for 12 months, and it's paid off. And it's the best investment you'll ever do. Because when I replace this, it's actually 100%. There's studies that came out. I can show you here my folder. Got a nice A1 truck. It's got the About Me page. 
It's got selecting the new door has never been easier. I've got We're going to have you a PDF of that to put in the show notes. Oh, yeah. This is killer, dude. Number one. Okay. Remodeling projects, return on investment. Number one, 2018. Number one thing on the home was the door replacement, 98.3%. Step one, step two, step three. Ten reasons why to use us. The, what, most, what matters most on the garage door? Why going green on your garage door matters? I've got why insulation makes sense. Our A1 applause program. This is the applause program that basically says, when you call, were you treated politely on the phone? Did your garage door specialist show up with promise? All these questions. You've got a way to win $50 back. You can get $50. It's a Visa gift card, $50 for every customer. Right here, we've got our worry-free cost savings bundle. We've got the $10 membership on the back. The $10 membership comes with a yearly annual tune-up. It comes with a free strut, a free surge protector, a free operator bracket. On year four, we replace your bottom rubber. On year five, we replace your rollers. There's our garage door storage solutions. There's our decorative hardware. This adds $60 of profit on every door. Here's exactly what you're going to get. We're going to go through it. And then here's our financing. All this stuff. Wow. Man, we, we could do seven podcasts on there, one for each page. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, it might be more than seven. I didn't actually count. There, there's about 12 pages. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's a presentation. When you sit down with me and my company, I'm sitting at your kitchen table, first of all. We're talking about your family. I'm learning any anything that you're worried about. I'm going to have the answer for you to make sure you're comfortable with this. This is something I would do at my grandma's or my mother's door. We're not here to take advantage of you. Actually, the way we've run the business is through you telling your friends, family, and your neighbors all about us. We really appreciate it. We'll give you the $50 gift card. I want to come back and see this door when it's done and see how amazing your home looks and make sure everything went up to par. So now I'm actually, no one else is doing this stuff. No one else is sitting at their kitchen table, showing them pictures, going over presentations, simulating the actual door on their home. I mean, it's no wonder why it's so easy to make money. It's so easy because we, we care about our customers. We care about the lifetime value. We get them into service agreements. There's nobody doing this in this industry. I learned a lot of it from HVAC and the HVAC companies have got it figured out. So Yeah, well, I got to say, it sounds like you've got it figured out pretty well too, man. You got an awesome company there and congrats on all that. I appreciate I mean, you're, that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you have no doubt quite a large company there and that's not an easy task managing and keeping that up. On that note, we are pretty much out of time for this one here. So Tommy, if anyone wants to connect to you, why don't you just tell our listeners what's the best way to reach out? You know, you can reach me. My email is a one lead manager. That's a the number one lead manager at Gmail. I've also got a million other emails. You can listen to the home service expert. I put a lot of good stuff on there. I'm going to get you onto the show. But you could get the book Home Service Millionaire, and I'll even put my cell phone. You can find me on Facebook if you type in Tommy Mellon to Google. There's Twitter. You can find me a million LinkedIn, Facebook. Basically, just look up Google Tommy Mello. You'll find a million ways and they'll all kind of lead back to the man. You know, if you want to text me, 480-430-1573. You got it. Hopefully the solicitors aren't listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. So we'll have to have you back on the show to go through all the files in your folder. Not, I shouldn't say files, but presentation presentation decks, I guess, or go through your pitch deck almost is what we'd call that. I mean, that looked awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll have to do a whole nother episode on that. But on that note, man. Thanks for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it very much, Corey. Thank you. You're welcome, buddy. Take care. All right. Take it easy. You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com.